Chapter fifty four of Uncle Silas by Joseph Sheridan Lefanu. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter fifty four In Search of Mr. Chark's Skeleton. On the whole, however, I was unspeakably relieved. Dudley Ruthyn, Esquire, and Mrs. D. Ruthyn were now skimming the blue waves on the wings of the sea mew, and every morning widened the distance between us which was to go on increasing until it measured a point on the antipodes the liverpool paper containing this golden line was carefully preserved in my room and like the gentleman who when much tried by the shrewish heiress whom he had married used to retire to his closet and read over his marriage settlement i used when blue devils haunted me to unfold my newspaper and read the paragraph concerning the seamew the day i now speak of was a dismal one of sleety snow my own room seemed to me cheerier than the lonely parlour where i could not have had good mary quince so decorously a good fire that kind and trusty face the peep i had just indulged in at my favourite paragraph and the certainty of soon seeing my dear cousin monica and afterwards affectionate milly raised my spirits so said i as old wyatt you say is laid up with rheumatism and can't turn up to scold me i think i'll run upstairs and make an exploration and find poor mr chark's skeleton in a closet oh lor miss maud how can you say such things exclaimed good old quince lifting up her honest grey head and round eyes from her knitting i had grown so familiar with the frightful tradition of mr chark and his suicide that i could now afford to frighten old quince with him i am quite serious i am going to have a ramble upstairs and downstairs like goosey-goosey gander and if i do light upon his chamber it is all the more interesting i feel so like adelaide in the romance of the forest the book i was reading to you last night when she commenced her delightful rambles through the interminable ruined abbey in the forest shall i go with you miss no quince stay there keep a good fire and make some tea i suspect i shall lose heart and return very soon and with a shawl about me cow fashion over my head i stole upstairs i shall not recount with the particularity of the conscientious heroine of mrs anne radcliffe all the suites of apartments corridors and lobbies which i threaded in my ramble it will be enough to mention that i lighted upon a door at the end of a long gallery which i think ran parallel with the front of the house it interested me because it had the air of having been long undisturbed there were two rusty bolts which did not evidently belong to its original securities and had been though very long ago somewhat clumsily superadded dusty and rusty they were but i had no difficulty in drawing them back there was a rusty key i remember it well with a crooked handle in the lock i tried to turn it but could not my curiosity was piqued i was thinking of going back and getting mary quince's assistance it struck me however that possibly it was not locked so i pulled the door and it opened quite easily i did not find myself in a strangely furnished suite of apartments but at the entrance of a gallery which diverged at right angles from that through which i had just passed 
it was very imperfectly lighted and ended in total darkness i began to think how far i had already come and to consider whether i could retrace my steps with accuracy in case of a panic and i had serious thoughts of returning the idea of mr chark was growing unpleasantly sharp and menacing and as i looked down the long space before me losing itself among ambiguous shadows lulled in a sinister silence and as it were inviting my entrance like a trap i was very near yielding to the cowardly impulse but i took heart of grace and determined to see a little more i opened a side door and entered a large room where were in a corner some rusty and cobwebbed bird cages but nothing more it was a wainscoted room but a white mildew stained the panels i looked from the window it commanded that dismal weed-choked quadrangle into which i had once looked from another window i opened a door at its farther end and entered another chamber not quite so large but equally dismal with the same prison-like lookout not very easily discerned through the grimy panes and the sleet that was falling thickly outside the door through which i had entered made a little accidental creak and with my heart at my lips i gazed at it expecting to see chark or the skeleton of which i had talked so lightly stalk in at the half-open aperture but i had an odd sort of courage which was always fighting against my cowardly nerves and i walked to the door and looking up and down the dismal passage was reassured well one room more just that whose deep-set door fronted me with a melancholy frown at the opposite end of the chamber so to it i glided shoved it open advancing one step and the great bony figure of madame de la rougierre was before me i could see nothing else the drowsy traveller who opens his sheets to slip into bed and sees a scorpion coiled between them may have experienced a shock the same in kind but immeasurably less in degree she sat in a clumsy old armchair with an ancient shawl about her and her bare feet in a delft tub she looked her thought more withered her wig shoved back disclosed her bold wrinkled forehead and enhanced the ugly effect of her exaggerated features and the gaunt hollows of her face with a sense of incredulity and terror i gazed freezing at this evil phantom who returned my stare for a few seconds with a shrinking scowl dismal and grim as of an evil spirit detected the meeting at least then and there was as complete a surprise for her as for me she could not tell how i might take it but she quickly rallied burst into a loud screeching laugh and with her old walpurgis gaiety danced some fantastic steps in her bare wet feet tracking the floor with water and holding out with finger and thumb in dainty caricature her slammakin old skirt while she sang some of her nasal patois with an abominable hilarity and emphasis with a gasp i too recovered from the fascination of the surprise i could not speak though for some seconds and madame was first ah oh, dear maud what surprise are we not overjoyed dearest and cannot speak i am full of joy quite charmed ravi of seeing you 
so you are of me your faith betray ah yes thou dear little baboon here is poor madame once more who could have imagined i thought you were in france madame i said with a dismal effort and so i was dear maud i have just arrived your uncle silas he wrote to the superioress for gouvernante to accompany a young lady that is you maud on her journey and she sent me and so ma chere here is poor madame arrived to charge herself of that affair how soon do we leave for france madame i asked i do not know but the old women what is her name wyatt i suggested oh we oui, wyatt she says two three week and who can duck you to poor madame's apartment my dear maud she inquired insinuatingly no one i answered promptly i reached it quite accidentally and i can't imagine why you should conceal yourself something like indignation kindled in my mind as i began to wonder at the sly strategy which had been practised upon me i have not concealed myself mademoiselle retorted the governess i have acted precisely as i have been ordered your uncle mr silas Ruthin, he is afraid wyatt says to be interrupted by his creditors and everything must be done very quietly i have been commanded to avoid me faire voir you know and i must obey my employer voilà tout and for how long have you been residing here i persisted in the same resentful vein about a week it is such triste place i am so glad to see you maud i've been so isolé you dear little fool you are not glad madame you don't love me you never did i exclaimed with sudden vehemence yes i am very glad you know not chère petite niaise how i have desired to educate you a little more let us understand one another you think i do not love you mademoiselle because you have mentioned to your poor papa that little dereglement in his library i have repent very often that so great indiscretion of my life i thought to find some letters of dr brayley i think that man was trying to get your property my dear maud and if i had found something i would tell you all about but it was very great sottise and you were very right to denounce me to monsieur je n'ai point de rancune contre vous no no none at all on the contrary i shall be your guardian tutelaire what you call guardian angel ah yes that is it you think i speak par derision not at all no my dear child i do not speak par moquerie unless perhaps the very least degree in the world and with these words madame laughed unpleasantly showing the black caverns at the side of her mouth and with a cold steady malignity in her gaze yes i said i know what you mean madame you hate me oh what great ugly word i am shocked vous me faites honte 
girl, madame, she never ate any one. She loves all her friends, and her enemies she leaves to heaven. While I am, as you see, more gay, more joyeuse than ever, they have not been happy. No, they have not been fortunate, these others. When I return, I find always some of my enemy, they have die, and some they have put themselves into embarrassment. Oh, there has arrived to them some misfortune. And Madame shrugged and laughed a little scornfully. A kind of horror chilled my rising anger, and I was silent. You see, my dear Maud, it is very natural you should think I ate you. When I was with Mr. Austin Rathin at Knoll, you know you did not like me, never. But, in consequence of our intimacy, I confide you that which I have of most dear in the world, my reputation. It is always so. The pupil can calumniate without being discovered, the gouvernante. Have I not been always kind to you, Maud? Which have I used of violence or of sweetness the most? I am, like other persons, jalouse de ma reputation. And it was difficult to suffer with patience the banishment which was invoked by you, because chiefly for your good and for an indiscretion to which I was excited by motives the most pure and laudable. It was you who spied so cleverly, eh, and denounced me to Monsieur Racine. Ella, what bad world it is! I do not mean to speak at all about that occurrence, madame. I will not discuss it. I dare say what you tell me of the cause of your engagement here is true, and I suppose we must travel, as you say, in company. But you must know that the less we see of each other while in this house, the better. I am not so sure of that, my sweet little bet. Your education has been neglected, or rather entirely abandoned, since you have arrived at this place, I am told. You must not be a bestial. We must do, you and I, as we are ordered. Mr. Silas Ruffin, he will tell us. All this time, Madame was pulling on her stockings, getting her boots on, and otherwise proceeding with her dowdy toilet. I do not know why I stood there talking to her. We often act very differently from what we would have done upon reflection. I had involved myself in a dialogue, as wiser generals than I have entangled themselves, in a general action, when they meant only an affair of outposts. I had grown a little angry, and would not betray the least symptom of fear, although I felt that sensation profoundly. My beloved father thought you so unfit a companion for me that he dismissed you at an hour's notice, and I am very sure that my uncle will think as he did. You are not a fit companion for me, and had my uncle known what had passed, he would never have admitted you to this house. Never. Eh, la, quelle disgrace! And you really think so, my dear Maud? exclaimed Madame, adjusting her wig before her glass, in the corner of which I could see half of her sly, grinning face as she ogled herself in it. I do, and so do you, Madame. I replied, growing more frightened. It may be, we shall see. But every one is not so cruel as you, ma chère petite calomniatrice. You shan't call me those names, I said in an angry tremor. What name, dearest child? Calomniatrice, 
that is an insult why my most foolish little maud we may say rogue and a thousand other little words in play which we do not say seriously you are not playing you never play you are angry and you hate me i exclaimed vehemently oh fie what shame do you not perceive dearest child how much education you still need you are proud little demoiselle you must become on the contrary quite humble je ferai baiser la babouin à vous <laughs> i will make a you to kiss the monkey you are too proud my dear child i am not such a fool as i was at knoll i said you shall not terrify me here i will tell my uncle the whole truth i said well it may be that is the best she replied with provoking coolness you think i don't mean it of course you do she replied and we shall see what my uncle thinks of it we shall see my dear she replied with an air of mock contrition adieu madame you are going to monsieur ruffin very good i made her no answer but more agitated than i cared to show her i left the room i hurried along the twilight passage and turned into the long gallery that opened from it at right angles i had not gone half a dozen steps on my return when i heard a heavy tread and a rustling behind me i am ready my dear i will accompany you said the smirking phantom hurrying after me very well was my reply and threading our way with a few hesitations and mistakes we reached and descended the stairs and in a minute more stood at my uncle's door my uncle looked hard and strangely at us as we entered he looked indeed as if his temper was violently excited and glared and muttered to himself for a few seconds and treating madame to a stare of disgust he asked peevishly why am i disturbed pray miss morderathine she will explain replied madame with a great curtsey like a boat going down in a ground swell will you explain my dear he asked in his coldest and most sarcastic tone i was agitated and i am sure my statement was confused i succeeded however in saying what i wanted why madame this is a grave charge do you admit it pray madame with the coolest possible effrontery denied it all with the most solemn asseverations and with streaming eyes and clasped hands conjured me melodramatically to withdraw that intolerable story and to do her justice i stared at her for a while astounded and turning suddenly to my uncle as vehemently asserted the truth of every syllable i had related you hear my dear child you hear her deny everything what am i to think you must excuse the bewilderment of my old head madame de la that lady has arrived excellently recommended by the superioress of the place where dear milly awaits you and such persons are particular it strikes me my dear niece that you must have made a mistake i protested here but he went on without seeming to hear the parenthesis i know my dear maud that you are quite incapable of wilfully deceiving any one but you are liable to be deceived like other young people you were no doubt very nervous and but half awake when you fancied you saw the occurrence you describe and madame de 
de de la rougiere i supplied yes thank you madame de la rougiere who has arrived with excellent testimonials strenuously denies the whole thing here is a conflict my dear in my mind a presumption of mistake i confess i should prefer that theory to a peremptory assumption of guilt i felt incredulous and amazed it seemed as if a dream were being enacted before me a transaction of the most serious import which i had witnessed with my own eyes and described with unexceptionable minuteness and consistency is discredited by that strange and suspicious old man with an imbecile coolness it was quite in vain my reiterating my statement backing it with the most earnest asseverations i was beating the air it did not seem to reach his mind it was all received with a simper of feeble incredulity he patted and smoothed my head he laughed gently and shook his while i insisted and madame protested her purity in now tranquil floods of innocent tears and murmured mild and melancholy prayers for my enlightenment and reformation i felt as if i should lose my reason there now dear maud we have heard enough it is i do believe a delusion madame de la rougiere will be your companion at the utmost for three or four weeks do exercise a little of your self-command and good sense you know how i am tortured do not i entreat add to my perplexities you may make yourself very happy with madame if you will i have no doubt i propose to mademoiselle said madame drying her eyes with a gentle alacrity to profit of my visit for her education but she does not seem to wish what i think is so useful she threatened me with some horrid french vulgarism de faire baiser la babouama whatever that means and i know she hates me i replied impetuously doucement doucement said my uncle with a smile at once amused and compassionate doucement ma chère with great hands and cunning eyes uplifted madame tearfully for her tears came on short notice again protested her absolute innocence she had never in all her life so much as heard one so villain phrase you see my dear you have misheard young people never attend you will do well to take advantage of madame's short residence to get up your french a little and the more you are with her the better i understand then mr ruffin you wish i should resume my instructions asked madame certainly and converse all you can in french with mademoiselle maud you will be glad my dear that i've insisted on it he said turning to me when you have reached france where you will find they speak nothing else and now dear maud no not a word more you must leave me farewell madame and he waved us out a little impatiently and i without one look toward madame de la rougiere stunned and incensed walked into my room and shut the door End of chapter fifty four